This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. My guest today has come together with Keyshawn Johnson to put out not only a very interesting book, but an important book. Those of you know that I love history, and this is right up my alley and probably be right up yours as well. The new book about the breaking of the NFL color barrier in 1946. The book is called The Forgotten First. Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color barrier from Grand Central Publishing. Joining us on this edition of Sports Jam is the acclaimed Newsday writer, author, and president of the Pro Football Writers of America, Bob Glauber. Bob, great to have you on the show. Doug, thank you for having me. Appreciate you uh, taking the time here. You know, as I mentioned, I am such a history buff and freak when it comes to learning. And uh, I was fascinated with how much detail is in this book about these four men who have been gone for a while now, the latest dying in 2007. But their stories are intertwined, not only because they were great players, but intertwined with the great names of the game and not just football. People like associated with Jesse Owens, but then we hear about Paul Brown and we hear about their past. I want to start off with the fact that we know a lot about Jackie Robinson. And, you know, the book talks about even in, in the beginning of how everybody seems to know Jackie. And there's a celebration every year for Jackie Robinson, but little known about these four men. But I will say, when I watch football tape, Jim Brown and Marion Motley are the two that stick out the most. And Marion Motley is one of the four people that's mentioned in your new book. So I'm so glad to learn more about them. How was it working with Keyshawn Johnson, by the way, on this effort? Keyshawn was a beast. Uh, loved working with him. I have known Keyshawn since he started with the Jets in 1996, and that's 25 years ago. Um, I loved covering him back then. I've kept in touch with him over the years. I came to him with this about a year and a half ago. We discussed it. He loved the idea, and he's been a tremendous partner with this whole thing. He, he truly believes in the importance of getting this story out. And, and I'm glad to hear, you know, you got into um, learning about these guys and seeing a Marion Motley connected to Jim Brown. Otto Graham, by the way, thought that Marion Motley was the better player than Jim Brown. A little bit controversial, but, you know, Jim Brown didn't like to block as much as Marion Motley. But, you know, the names you mentioned, Paul Brown, Jim Brown, um, Jackie, Rob Jackie Robinson played with Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Um, so this is a really fascinating story that is intertwined with history from back then. But as, as you saw, we kind of brought it forward to today's NFL, um, interviewing Roger Goodell, the owners of the teams back in the 40s who banned black players. The grandsons of those owners are in today's NFL with the Steelers, Giants, Cardinals, and Bears. And they are among the most progressive uh, owners in promoting diversity initiatives, which I, you know, we both found fascinating that, you know, they come from this family that was part of a, a really dark time in NFL history. Certainly was, Bob. And when you think about some of those owners in the past, like the former Washington Redskins owner at that time, they were not really keeping things a secret. You knew how they felt about keeping the league white. But what's so fascinating about the NFL is the fact that prior to 46, you know, there was a hiatus period, but there were blacks playing in the 
professional football league ranks before then, and then suddenly a shutdown. What do you want our listeners to know about, first of all, that shutdown period and how eventually these four guys were able to break into the National Football League? Well, I think you always have to be mindful of what's going on in society around sports and what was going on in the 1930s was the Great Depression. And there was a feeling that um, why should the potential of African-American workers affect white workers, you know, in, in the NFL. That was not a hugely popular league. Players didn't make a ton of money, but, you know, there was that dynamic going on um, that was that was pretty prevalent at the time. It was not written in any constitution or bylaws of the NFL, but it was there was an understanding among owners, particularly with George Preston Marshall of the Washington franchise, who was out of, you know, he was very public with his animus toward toward black players um, and blacks in general. He felt that the Washington team would not succeed if they had black players because it would alienate the fan base, which was predominantly white. So that. You know, the owners went along with it, um, and it was, you know, it, it was a bad time, right, for everybody. But then I think World War II comes along, and it's a tremendous effort worldwide to defeat Nazism um, and the Japanese Empire, and Black soldiers were a big part of that. And once that war ended, 1945, there was a big push, especially among the Black press, to, to promote opportunity for black play- players, the, the theory being, hey, if, if, if we can fight wars against mortal enemies of our country, why shouldn't we at home have an opportunity to participate in the good things in life? And so that was, there was a sea change um, of, of pushback against the idea that whites only should be in these professional leagues. Happened in 1947 with Jackie Robinson and the Brooklyn Dodgers. It happened in 46 with these four men in Cleveland and in Los Angeles. It's not just professional football that this, you know, whole let's keep blacks out of our ranks mentality was going on. It was also going on in collegiate football. It was Woody Strode that had said Notre Dame and USC did not want blacks uh, in uh, their ranks. So he went to UCLA and it was the best thing that ever happened to him. Why was UCLA, after doing this research, why was that institution so progressive and and realizing to give opportunities to black football players at the time? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And and back then, um, it was actually um, it was Kenny Washington's dream to play at Notre Dame, and and he and he had spoken about this to uh, to Woody Strode, you know, many many years, and they were they were best friends, and he wanted to go to. Um, to, to Notre Dame in the worst way. And, and Woody Strode was, was hoping to go to USC, but blacks were not wanted there. UCLA was, was different. There was a more open-minded liberalism there um, that came from some people in the athletic department. Uh, Bill Ackerman was a, a real champion for diversity um, at UCLA at the time. And that was a big reason they were able to attract Jackie Robinson, who was looking for a, a permanent school after going to Pasadena Junior College and starring there. So there was a more liberal-minded thinking and feeling at um, UCLA, and there was a bit of arrogance, if you will, 
at USC. Oh, we got this great program. We're the big dogs in, in Los Angeles. We own the market. Um, and, and we're a white team. Um, so UCLA was really at the forefront. And in Southern California at that time, and it continues today, there was a more liberal-minded liberal mindset among the people. There was more inclusiveness. There was more diversity. You know, Woody Strode and um, Kenny Washington talked about growing up and not feeling as if they were not wanted. It was after they went to, to, into the service, um, particularly Strode. Kenny Washington had a, he couldn't go because of medical issues, but, but he, he helped uh, the USO, USO effort. Um, they felt bigotry when they left the Los Angeles area, when they played in Oregon or Washington State. Uh, when they joined the Rams and the first road game in Chicago, they were prohibited from sleeping in the white players hotel. Um, so, but, but again, back to your original question of UCLA, just, just a more liberal mindset there. Third down 10, Johnson down the middle to Keyshawn, and Keyshawn's got a touchdown. What an effort. Keyshawn Johnson was an All-American at USC and one of the terrific football players at the college ranks and goes on to be drafted by the Jets where, you know, you're covering him in the NFL as a, as a, a younger reporter at the time, but USC and UCLA have always been rivals. So for Keyshawn to do a story about two UCLA Bruins says a lot. He understands the importance of their role. He would not be playing. He would have not have played in the NFL had it not be for these four men and two of them from UCLA. Yeah. And he was, you know, it was, it was kind of amusing to him because uh, obviously there are these mortal enemies um, on the football field. But Keyshawn is a, you know, he's a very uh, thoughtful guy. He's aware of where he came from. And, you know, when we were first discussing the, the project, the fact that he played high school ball uh, about no more than 10 miles away from Woody Strode and uh, Kenny Washington he was just blown away by the fact that he didn't know anything about these guys or very little, maybe a little bit of Kenny Washington, certainly not much. And it was, it was a little frustrating for him. And that was one of the reasons that, that he connected so strongly with the idea of it. And then once we dove into it, realized just kind of the depths of the problem back then in trying to promote opportunity for African-American players. Bob Glauber is our guest here on Sports Dan. The book is called The Forgotten First, an effort that he put together with Super Bowl champion, former Jets first-round draft pick and current broadcaster Keyshawn Johnson. The Forgotten First, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, Bill Willis. Remember those names. And the breaking of the NFL color barrier, because that's the point of the book. Bob, you've written books. You've done so many articles for, for Newsday. I mean, you're a great researcher, but... When your four main characters are gone, how difficult was the task to bring them back to life for us? Well, let's put it this way. <clears throat> I got a hold of Jim Tunney Jr. in California. And Jim Tunney Jr. was a famous referee back in the day. He is 92 years old. And I asked the NFL if they had any information on Jim Tunney. And they said, yeah, here's his contact information. Why in the world would you want Jim Tunney? So Jim Tunney, it was like I struck gold by getting Jim Tunney because he was the son of Kenny Washington's high school football coach. Wow. Imagine that. I mean, that as a, as a writer, good as luck a too, as a writer too, right? That was, that was good luck. 
it was it was good luck, absolutely. And you know, you, you know, you look at it and say, "Oh, Jim Tunney, Jim Tunney is Kenny Washington's high school coach." I wonder if it's any re- relation, and he was. So, so, so Jim Tunney, ninety-two years old, with the mind of of a you know steel trap mind, um, says, "Yeah, I was about six years old when I first saw Kenny Washington. Loved him. My father loved him." Jim Tunney Jr. also organized um, a fundraiser for Kenny Washington when he became ill with um, a lung and blood disorder at just at age 52. And they met up um, years later at a baseball game at a Dodgers game. Kenny Washington was a great baseball player and became a Dodgers scout. Uh, Jim Tunney saw him at a Dodgers game and was just blown away at how bad Kenny Washington looked. He was he, he, he wanted to cry because there was a problem there and he, and he got to the root of it. So Jim Tunney organized with a, a bunch of Los Angeles business people a fundraiser for Kenny Washington to help defray his medical expenses. So when, when you talk to people like that, that's that's great. And, and we also got a hold of um, people like Mike Brown, uh, the son of Paul Brown, who is Mike is in his 80s. And he remembered everything about Marion Motley and Bill Willis as if it were yesterday. He loves talking about those guys and. You know, to, to, to hear that, to understand uh, where it was at and to understand it. And Mike Brown should really champion his father more because Paul Brown was the Branch Rickey of this story. I mean, Branch Rickey is famous for giving Jackie Robinson a chance, uh, signing him as general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers in 47. Well, you know, Paul Brown, a year before that, signed two black players with very little fanfare on purpose because he didn't want to put pressure a more pressure on them because he knew that this was going to be a bit of an issue and it was an issue. So when you, when you get, you know, and, and then Bill Willis's older children who are, you know, in their seventies, I'm talking, talking to uh, Bill Willis jr. And he's, Hey, listen, I got to call you back. I'm going on my retirement party. So, <laughs> you know, these are the children of these guys at near the end of their lives. Uh, so it is fascinating. You know, thankfully, there were enough people alive. And then, you know, there's a lot of information research wise that that you can get out there um, that, that it helps you tell the story. It was in 2014 on Sports Jam. We spoke with producer Ross Greenberg about his film on epics called The Forgotten Four, which also focused on these four men who broke the color barrier in the 1940s. Here's a taste of what that film had to say about them. Before Jackie Robinson. There was Kenny Washington. When Kenny Washington set foot on the UCLA campus, he was already a star. He could do everything. Marion Motley. He was just a man among boys. The guy like that coming through the line and scares you. Bill Willis. Bill was a great player. His style was giving all-out effort all the time. And Woody Strode. He had the reputation of being the perfect physical specimen. His development as an athlete was just natural. These four men were celebrated on the fields on Saturday. But they were not drafted in the NFL because the league was segregated. My guest is Newsday writer and the co-author of the new book, The Forgotten First, Bob Glauber. Before we touch upon each of these guys individually, because I think that's what's necessary. People need to know a little bit more about them. They may have heard some of the names, but they might not know the backgrounds. When you talk about multi-talented people in different sports when you look at what these four men had 
they were so talented in so many different areas. They could do so much. It just showed that they belonged a long time ago with whites on the same playing field. It's amazing just how great athletes these four men were. Yeah, they really were. And they were multi-sport athletes, as you said. Um, Woody Strode was an Olympic caliber track star who ran the hurdles and threw the shot put. Uh, he couldn't go in the Jesse Owens Olympics because he was had to study at UCLA um, to, to try to stay in the school. Um, so he, he was not afforded that opportunity. Um, Kenny Washington, great baseball player, probably better than Jackie Robinson was certainly at UCLA um, and a great football player. Uh, Bill Willis ran track. Uh, and he was very, very fast, especially for a, a bigger guy. Uh, and Marion Motley was, you know, more, more football, um, did some track and I think some basketball, but, you know, he, he, his specialty was football, but just a massive mountain of a man um, who, would, you know, guys would just, you know, bounce off of him trying, trying to tackle Marion Motley. So, and yes, then, yeah, a lot of versatility there. And as you mentioned in the book, Marion Motley was asked by the Kansas City Monarchs of the Negro Leagues to pitch in one of their one of their games, and he actually did extremely well. What? Yes, an amazing Thank you for story. reminding me. You know, Marion Motley is, is like you said. There could be arguments. Of course, I had Jim Brown as one of my early guests on Sports Jam, so I'm always going to say that Jim Brown is the greatest athlete that that ever played the game, at least from the films that I watched. But if you do watch Motley you will notice he was the same type of bruising person who just ran over and looked really men amongst boys when you watch both of them uh, on tape. Let's first start with the first player, Kenny Washington. And he had such a great career at UCLA. You talk about the 0-0 game with USC back in 1939, where he almost single-handedly beat the Trojans, gets all the crowd to cheer for him then he doesn't get drafted 200 some players get drafted they're all white same day as that game which blew my mind that the draft was held the same day as his last game where he walked off to a hero's hero's ovation 103,000 people sorry that you know but that was yeah and it makes us understand just how severe that lockout is when it came to those players that they knew i mean it wasn't like they were hidden like some of the negro league players if you didn't go visit them in their ballparks, you might not know that Josh Gibson was this great player. You might not know that Ray Dandridge was this. Kenny Washington's performance was there for everybody to talk about, and all the fans knew what was going on. When it comes to Kenny Washington, uh, you know we know his story being friends with Jackie Robinson and the fact that they had such a great team. And as you mentioned, he died at the early age of 52. Woody Strode is less known, but Woody Strode, had some amazing times on the football field too, that may be best known for a Golden Globe nomination for his role in Spartacus opposite Kirk Douglas in the 1960 film. Woody Strode turned out to be a very accomplished actor after his NFL and CFL career ended, careers ended, and his wrestling career ended. He was a pioneer in three professional endeavors, football, wrestling, and acting. And he acted for about 50 years, um, including the movie Spartacus, for which he was nominated for a Golden Globe, a bunch of other movies. He did what was called 
spaghetti westerns, um, western movies that were filmed in Italy. They nicknamed them spaghetti westerns. One of which was with, made with Joe Namath, um, and Namath was very um, complimentary about Woody Strode. He had no idea about Woody Strode's place in NFL history. And this is Namath who played for the Rams for that one year after he he left the Jets. So again, another indication of the lack of awareness of just where these guys fit into the history of pro sports. Bill Willis's brother was just as good as him, maybe better. Claude was a was a tremendous player as well. And they both knew Jesse Owens. I mean, it's how these stories, they intertwine with history. It's almost like, you know, you did this in a movie and how they always try to put people in with, yeah. you know, with the times. But this was for real. These guys really all got together and knew each other. Yeah, they um, uh, in summers, they would they would go visit relatives. And Jesse Owens was, was a kid at the time. He was not, you know, Jesse Owens like we know him now. He was a, a, a playmate of, of Bill and Claude Willis. Um, back in the day. And, it, you know, very nice family. They were all very friendly and um, played on the local playgrounds together in summers. And um, it, I, I felt like you um, in terms of just like, wow, you know, all these people crossing paths, Jackie Robinson, you know, Paul Brown, Jesse Owens, for goodness sake, just a fascinating look at the time and um you know, the fact that these guys were kind of left behind and, and just in terms of our, our appreciation of them. Um, and, but the, 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 they, they lived some really interesting, meaningful and impactful lives. And Bill Willis, of course, you know, he was a hall of fame defensive lineman who was so fast. They called him the cat. Paul Brown thought that he couldn't be this fast. He's got to be offside the way he was getting to the quarterback in his first tryout. He actually, Paul Brown got on his knees as a picture um, Paul Brown on his knees, making sure Bill Willis is not lining up offside because he's getting to the quarterback so quickly. And another, you know, one other amazing thing that I found fascinating just as a history nerd. Um, so Bill Willis uh, practices so effectively, he's like stepping on the, uh, the, the center is stepping on the toes of the quarterback, Otto Graham, because he has to back up so quickly to deal with Willis. Otto Graham goes, ah, you know, screams one time, you know, so Paul Brown realizes, you know what, we got to do something about this. So if you notice how today's NFL quarterbacks line up with one foot um, kind of, uh, you know, diagonal, like that both feet are not lined up straight, it's diagonal. What that does is gives them an extra step to get back more quickly. That came from Bill Willis because he mm -hmm. was so quick in pass rushing against, um, uh, you know, Otto Graham. And then Marion Motley leads those same Cleveland Browns to five championships for Paul Brown, the pride of Canton, Ohio. My favorite story in your book about Marion Motley is when he's in junior high school and the kids say, please give him equipment. He was so big that he did. He didn't fit in any equipment. They wanted him to have equipment so they didn't get hurt. He was so physical on the field in junior high school. It's amazing. He was always a, a mountainous guy. Um, and yes, the, the, the kids were so, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of equipment in those days. He would wear, you know, pants that is got hand-me-down pants to, to practice and, and he would just hurt people. You know, equipment wasn't what it is then. Um, and the, the players begged the coach, please give this guy some padding so we don't get hurt trying to tackle him. Yeah. The pride of White Plains, New York is Bob Glauber of Newsday. And, you know, as I look at the bookcase behind you I, I wonder 
if you had one book to pull out or one video to pull out during a, a pandemic like day, other than The Forgotten First, what book would that be behind you? Well, if it's sports, I would say probably um, When Pride Still Matter uh, by David Moranis. Uh, that was, you know, to me, the best sports book I've ever read. You really got a sense of who Vince Lombardi was. And I, I was impacted by that in just seeing, you know, what went into writing um, a, a meaningful book. And that was so well-researched and so well-reported. Uh, now, he had the advantage of talking to players who were alive, uh, many of whom uh, talking about Vince Lombardi, but, but I would say that would be the one. Finally, Bob, your term as president of the Pro Football Writers of America has passed now, but how do you feel about the NFL? Do you think the league is headed in the right direction? No, I, I think the league is in, is in pretty good shape. Um, it's very popular. The league has done a really good job of responding to what fans want. The safety is always going to be an issue. It's a meat grinder of a sport, but I think that moving forward, um, th this league is in really good shape. The ratings are robust. The television contracts are in. The uh, labor situation is stable for another decade. So I, I see things continuing on a, on a steady track upward. Bob Glauber is our guest here on Sports Jam. The book is called The Forgotten First. The book is from Grand Central Publishing. Bob, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and much success with the book and continued success with your amazing career. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the kind words. And thank you for um, talking about a really important book. We, we really think this should resonate at an important time. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios podcast. You can check out all the shows by going to wbgo.org slash sports jam. Find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or on iTunes. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.